the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tulloch and Anthony Petrielli. Welcome to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. My name is Ian Tulloch. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli. But more importantly, we have another guest to introduce here. Uh, Anthony, you want to take it away? What do you mean more importantly? Let's. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, let's face there. it here. Let, let's, you know, I mean, we're not lying to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let the man introduce himself. There it is. Well, we were discussing if I have a title before, and it's like not. I have, I'm Guy from Sportsnet now. I, Justin Bourne is the name, but I'm just Guy from Sportsnet because I don't really know what I do there. They just call me every day and are like, "Here's a list of things we'd like," and I'm like, "You got it." Justin Bourne, <laughs> co-host of Hockey Central, uh, all things hockey for Sportsnet. It says. I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, I'll take that. That sounds good. So, Justin, I've had you on podcasts in the past, and we've gotten into deep discussions about a lot of things. You used to work for the Toronto Marlies as a video coach back when Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe were there. It's always interesting hearing some of your discussions because you've been around some of these players before. This week in Toronto, I'm not sure if you've realized, but William Nylander has been a topic of discussion. We talk about him a lot. We've talked about him a lot for the past few years when it comes to frustrations with effort on a particular back check or how many strides he's putting in on a four check. And... With a player who's as talented as him, there's understandably pushback when he has solid numbers, he has solid possession stats. Obviously, he's an elite talent. He's going to get the puck into the offensive zone. But when we're trying to assess a player's effort in hockey, in sports in general, I feel like it leads to a lot of controversy. And with William Nylander, I think that's what this really comes down to. I'm curious what your thoughts are on him overall because you've coached him before. You've been around him a lot. I know that some coaches use this as a motivating technique to try to call him out in the media or move him down a lineup. I know back in the, when the Marlies were in the playoffs, they, used to, they took him off the power play unit in the playoffs to try to get him going because sometimes you're not quite sure how to motivate him. You've been around him a lot. What, what are your thoughts on the discourse this week? Because I've always been a fan of his game. I've always been a fan of his talent. Yeah. When you want to get more out of something you know is extremely talented, this is where that frustration comes into play. Yeah, um, I, I think the what gets lost in the debate about whichever side of being a Neanderthal or, or sorry Neanderthal or uh, someone who's pro stats or anti stats, whatever. What what gets lost in the whole thing, I think, is that everyone is on the same page and that they agree that Neander is good. That is what where the argument starts from is that like the people who get frustrated with Willie and say he should get traded and isn't worth his money. They say that because they think he's really good, but they think he doesn't try. They think he doesn't put in the effort to, to sort of go with his ability. There's no one you talk to in this whole conversation who's like, oh, Willie's no good, he's useless. Everyone's like, he's good. The, the biggest thing is that the, the people who are more statistically inclined and see the bigger picture in the course of the whole season, they say, yes, he's clearly good. Look at his numbers, look at what he does. The other side says, look at what he can do when he tries. He should be and could be so much more so. I think it's, uh, it's just a lot of frustration uh, on the one side in particular, but I don't know. I'm, I, I've kind of given up. Like, he is what he is. Take it or leave it. Like, it's up to the coaching staff to motivate him, but you're not, I don't think you're going to get more or less out of him than you've seen so far in his career. So one thing I'm pretty interested in, actually more from a, a little bit more of a human perspective. So obviously last week we all know there was an article that came out that kind of called into question William Nylander. It was written by Steve Simmons in Toronto Sun. There was like that Ikea comparison. I actually didn't read the article. I didn't. Um, but I saw the headline, and I'm pretty sure we all knew what was going on there. As as someone who knows Sheldon Keefe, like, how do you think he handles that? Like, Do you think that's a, a conversation that he's actually going to have with Willie? Like, 
is it just like nobody says anything like does it bother Nylander yeah I bet it's the nobody says anything I'm genuinely curious with a guy like Willie if it would cross his desk like he would if he would even know that article existed outside of whatever is said to him in the room you know maybe the guys make a joke or two but you know you mentioned before we came on air and I hate to steal your point here but like they don't play the guy like the, they're at no. the point where, you know, like no. they're not even using him in, in hopes of motivating him in hopes of doing something. It's, they just seem at a loss for what to do with them. I mean, I'll let you better make that point, but like, yeah, I mean, they, like he's, I think he's played over 18 minutes twice this year, uh, provided he didn't do it against Calgary. I didn't actually look at the ice time yet for that, that last game, but going into, it, I think he played 18 to one twice. Good, yeah. And it's like, I mean, this, and this is like, this is not like Babs, who's just like, I'm going to roll the lines and, you know, try to have everybody a happy medium or Claude Julien right now in Montreal. Like, this is Keith. Like, if, like, Keith, like, actively, he was like, I could play this guy 24 minutes a night. And, like, he's just going to, like, go hard and, like, run a train on this team shift after shift. Like, I'm doing it. Like, I don't care at all. But he's like, Nylander, like, you're borderline third line minutes. Like, you're, you're hovering around that 15 to 16 minute mark and we've talked about the reasons why there are certain times like where I do feel bad for him I want to say like there was a play it was the smallest play it was against it was against Calgary in the the last game and the defenseman it was in the Leafs zone I forget who the defenseman was but he passed it across to William behind the Leafs net and the guy tried to put some like he tried to saucer the puck it was a bad pass it it did not land on his stick and and Nylander of course he tried to bat it down and he missed it, and it was a turnover. And Nylander looks so nonchalant. Like, he just – he actively looks, like, nonchalant, right? Like, it look – I'm not saying he doesn't care, but it looks like he doesn't care. But that play is not his fault. Like, it was a crap right. pass. It, well, this is the whole, right? like, confirmation thing, right? Like, once you get it in your head that he does this or he doesn't do whatever, you can see it. This is my whole, like, beef with video work in general is it's so easy to grab eight seconds of a guy looking terrible or a guy looking great, depending on what you want to say about a player. And so, you know, you'll see uh, a back check. And actually it's funny as I had the audacity to Twitter search Nylander back check today. Um, (laughs) Don't wait in there. But the, I went through looking for media, you know, just for, to see if I could find different clips and it's primarily Nylander defenders showing highlights of Nylander actually back checking. And then, you know, mixed in the odd one of him kind of half-assing it on a back check. But, like, go through my game tape. You know, I tried pretty hard in general, but you can find lazy back checks. I mean, go through actually good – ignore me. Go through actually good players. Sid's game tape. You can find it too. So, we're we're so far beyond with Willie where it's, like, even a logical discussion. The most logical thing is that I trust Kyle and Sheldon. They want to get the most out of them. They paid him the money. They want it to work, and they're trying to make it work. They're playing him 16 minutes a game. So at some point you can't not criticize Nylander and just say, wow, well, he's mostly good though. If, you made if a great we ex- point about confirmation bias that I wanted to quickly bring up because part of the reason I try to use numbers and video to help guide my decision-making is I know that I can't just watch video and try to come away with conclusions because I'm going to talk myself into the wrong idea. I'm going to tell myself, Oh no, what I'm seeing here is right. And don't worry. I'm not going to worry about any numbers. I'm just going to worry about what I'm watching. But then if you look at some numbers that show, wait a minute, that player who I love is spending 60% of the time stuck in his own end. 
maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe yeah. I'm overvaluing certain parts of the game and undervaluing certain parts yeah. of the game. With you William Nylander, go for sorry, it. Sorry, fin- finish your point. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, I'm more curious to hear what your thoughts are. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just going to say is about your, the point you're making there. What A real eye-opener for me is when I first uh, got my job with the Marlies and they had me in the coach's office and I was pretty new and just wanted to be a part of the conversation. Uh, Justin, it was after a game and we had lost and like, you know, they rank all the players one to five. This is like a Lou Lamorello thing on like how we thought they played that day. It's at least report cards, basically. Yeah, no, I mean, it's literally what it was. And it was like the coaches weren't supposed to talk to each other. You know, just say what you thought without reviewing the game. And the coaches hated it because it was like, who cares what I, you know, the game was a million miles an hour. There's 18 skaters. I can't watch everyone at once. So here's my terrible report card that I, I do immediately after. Anyway, I wanted to be one of the one of the boys. And I was like, fucking Hall, soft. Like, just fucking soft, eh? And, uh, and Sheldon was like, what? And I was like, wow, it's just soft. Like going back on Pox, like, was he? I was like, well, I thought so, yeah. And he's like, okay, let's see the video. And I was like, well, I don't have the video. You didn't see the video. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah, and he's like, okay, well, tomorrow, tomorrow when you come in, just like show me the video or whatever. And it's like, you don't realize how much in a in a game you say something so wildly untrue until you have to confirm it with video. You sit there with your buddies, you're like, oh, this guy, Nylander. Then you go watch the tape, and it's not even there. Like we just see what we want to see half the time. With Justin Hall and puck retrievals, one of the funny things there is I can think of times where he goes back on a loose puck and he gets hammered into the boards, but he pokes the puck to his open line mate who then makes the pass out of the zone. And you're thinking, wait a minute. Yeah, okay, it's the soft play, but he made the possession driving play to advance the puck up the ice. He gets pasted all the time doing that. It looks weak. Sometimes I wonder how much is is, is just an aesthetic thing with a guy like Justin Hall, with a guy like William Nylander. If you're driving positive results, how much of it, is a bias towards wanting the game to be played a certain way versus a guy who plays it another way, but it's still effective. Yeah, no. And that's, that's what numbers are fleshing out for us is that beyond what you see, how you want it to look, who's actually getting the job done. So that's why I'm such an advocate for, for that part of the game. Also, can I just say, I think the five point, I, I remember actually like I speaking once to this OHL general manager who's telling me about this, like you should grade players on this one to five scale. And I tried to do it like live once in the arena. I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. I could maybe, fun, grade, eh? I could maybe grade like seven of these guys yeah. and like call it a day. Cause like, otherwise <laughs> you're just, but at least, at least Ian, then you can like look at the box score and be like, here are this time on ice. Here's the shots on goal. Yeah. Here's like who, if you're just like in the arena and you're doing it like offhand, I'm like, I don't have anything to go to. Like nothing yeah. to look at. Are just you taking like, notes on a pad or anything? Yeah, like literally on a pad on a laptop. I'm just like, uh, I, I think I can properly grade like seven guys here, and everything else is just completely made up. Or I'm just not going to say anything, and they're going to be yeah. like, "Why don't you have an opinion on that guy?" Be like, you know, what I don't though, know, it, man. It, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I can't watch everyone. What's really exposing is so like after the games, then. I had to watch like face-offs and, you know, certain parts of the game. Um, you know, one coach, AJ McLean, would do five-on-five stuff. Um, you know, Keith would kind of watch the whole game. Anyway, you'd come in the next morning and we'd go over the game. And it's amazing how wrong you are, uh, how often. Like, there's at least two or three guys a game where you're like, I thought he was garbage. He was actually pretty good. You know, it, it, is, it is enlightening. I'm debating which Lou Lamorello stories to tell about these sheets because these sheets were like, the bane of my existence is the video coach. I had to collect them and fax them to Lou. You have Only locks facts. on your doors. Is your <laughs> home safe? That's my Not, first. <laughs> yeah. 
like I, I couldn't like take a picture of the on them and like email them to Lou. The guys couldn't do them on their computers. Like they had to be hand filled out and faxed to Lou. So you're in like Utica at three in the morning and you got to find a fax machine. That was like half of my job frustration was finding a fax because Lou wanted to get to the rink the next morning and have them have them there. Um, the, the one, I'm only halfway going to tell the story, but I'll just say that they, Lou is so secretive, they had to convince him in New Jersey that they had encrypted his fax machine. They had like changed wires so his fax machine was encrypted, which by the way, means nothing. You cannot encrypt a fax machine. No. But this is part of Lou's thing. He loved these sheets so much that he wanted encrypted faxes to, to know what the coaches thought the night of the game. I'm picturing he's like, send me a fax, but also a photo of you with today's newspaper. And <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, he's everything he was cracked up to be in the clandestine uh, department. So we've talked a lot about William Nylander, but I think partly who's being lost in this whole thing is quite frankly, it's John Tavares. Mm. Um, like he's making $11 million a year. Like he had, he's a, two seasons removed from a 47 goal year here. They just had to, they felt the need to have to move him up with, with Matthews and Marner. And I'm not going to say that he looked great that game. And before that, they're like, we're going to give that line Zach Hyman. So how much, what, what are your feelings on him? Both of you guys. I guess this is the first time where I've had to ask myself the question, you know, how many years left in that deal again? Like, is it, you know, you start to just have those thoughts like, okay, so if this is the start of the decline. What does this look like? You know, where I think the bet with Tavares was that a, a bad John Tavares is going to be very good. I think that was the bet, right? Like he's still savvy and sees the ice so well, and he's, you know, good puck battles and small areas. And once he gets to the corners in front of the net, like he could still do stuff. So like you think a bad Tavares is going to be good. Probably right there. I still think that's probably the answer, but I, it's the first time he looks frustrated as a Maple Leaf. Part of that is like, let's say he thinks William Nylander's no good or is playing terrible. And like, you're just pairing them together. Cause you're like, yeah, it's the, the big four. Like you got to play, you know, Matthews Marner thing. So here's Willie. And he's like, oh, come on, really? Like I got to do this every night. So I don't know if he's unhappy. I don't know if it's just not going in, but right now the vibes are not good coming off old captain JT. I mean, he's played with worse wingers before. He's he's got PA Parento to have a good a few good seasons. He's got Kyle Poso, Josh Bailey. There's a long list of guys who's prime Tavares. Did. Like, Matt Molson's <laughs> Matt Molson's great grandkids that are not born yet are already thanking John Tavares yeah. for what so, he did. So when I'm watching Tavares every night and I'm trying to take notes on it, I'm trying to look at what aspects of his game is he doing a good job in, what what aspects is he falling a bit behind in. Like you said, his ability to make plays out of tight spaces in all areas of the ice, whether it's in the defensive zone along the wall, in the neutral zone, in the offensive zone, he, he can just stick handle in a phone booth. He can make a tight saucer pass out of a tight window and get, his play, get, get play going the right way, make a smart play in the offensive zone. With him, he's never been a great skater, and I'm wondering if at this point of his career that's something that's starting to catch up with him. You're watching a lot of tape on him too. What are you seeing that's maybe deteriorating at this point that's resulted in some of this yeah. poor five-on-five five play? That's the interesting bet. Like the skating thing is a conversation people have a lot and what I've thought about. But like if you're not someone who's dependent on that in the first place, does it matter? And I think that 
that's an unanswered question. Like, can he afford to be another half step slower? It's a, honestly, it's impossible. That's a great example. Something that's really hard for me to tell. Like, is he slowing down? I don't know. I don't, I don't know that he seems to control the puck or have the puck as much as I, I remember him, you know, with the Islanders on those lines of those guys, like he seemed to have the puck and dist- uh, distribute the puck really well and, you know, create goals for those guys. You know, Willie's a guy who has the puck a lot. I don't know if that's maybe not perfect for him. Although, Mitch Marner's a guy who had the puck, and Tavares just went to the net and put his stick down. That went pretty well for him, too. So, I don't know. It, honestly, I, I don't have an easy answer. My gut then, I think because there's no easy answer, like this looks terrible or that looks terrible, is that he's probably going to sort it out, that he probably hasn't declined that much. I, I, I think it's probably still there. It's a bit of a rocky start. Maybe he doesn't love his line mate, uh, but uh, I, I think he'll figure it out, but I, I don't know exactly what it is. I have a few thoughts on this actually. And I mm. actually was going back and I was watching a little bit of when he was on the Islanders. And the first thing that stood out is like, he, act, he used to beat guys one-on-one off the rush a ton. Like it actually shocked me. I was like, I cannot believe I'm watching this guy. Like he would actually, like he has that little inside out move where he likes to stick yeah. handle in the triangle right in front of him and kind of, like yep. head fake the guy, but like he's going the underneath time? the triangle every time. Oh, I haven't seen that. Where yeah. is it? Like it yeah. just, that's non-existent. And like, yeah, you're right. He is going underneath the triangle every time and trying to get a every- shot off. But like, yeah. he's like, he's creating nothing like for himself, like in terms of like space, if a guy sets him up, he'll score. Like he still has a great shot. Right. But like, when are we like actively watching Tavares and we're like, this guy is single-handedly like making a play. So I wonder then if he's not getting as many touches through the neutral zone, like you start to sort of, you know, rewind it back and say, okay, well, why does he not have the puck in those spots? You know, how is there, you know, are they breaking out of their own zone the same way? Who else has changed? So they had Hyman with, with Nylander and him last game. Or sorry, Every, game. Everyone's favorite, Jimmy VC, Ilya Mikheyev, who, you know, I like him a lot, but I love McCann's my favorite player who doesn't score. He's my favorite yeah. player who, if he never scores, I'm like, still like him. Still, still PK have breakaways. There. Neither of them has a prayer of going in and you still root <laughs> yeah. for the guy. Is anyone yeah. better? Is anyone better at chipping off the boards? And you're like, he beat him. Like, before, yeah. like the second it goes off the boards, you're like, it's a two on one. They're not yeah, going to score. That... No, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but a two on one. Right. He just seems to have this like super reach. Like I, I know in hockey, we don't talk wingspan, but like, I feel like you can get a sports illustrated cover with him palming two basketballs and he'd have like a Chris Boucher reach or something. Cause it just seems yeah. he can get to everything. He's long stick, very disruptive stick, good work ethic stays above the puck. You know, I, any line you want to put him on, you can, you can sell me on it. I don't know that he's ever going to be composed enough to finish a ton of chances. But I digress. Uh, the, the, the Tavares thing, yeah, I think there, there might need to be some real video work and sort of why is he not getting the puck in spots to, to even try to beat people. I don't even see him trying to beat people. So it's, something's different there for sure. One player what? I have liked in that combination when we're talking about the Tavares-Nylander line is Alexander Kerfoot. He's someone who on that left wing spot alongside Tavares and Nylander appears to be using his speed to win more puck battles. He's looked a, a bit more dangerous there. For whatever reason, that third line center checking role just doesn't seem to be something that suits him well. No. When you're playing him on that second line with Tavares and Nylander, do you think that's the best way to optimize this lineup? I'm trying to figure out ways to get the most out of this lineup, but then mm-hmm. who plays third line center? And that's kind of the ripple effect. Yeah, the Kerfoot thing is is fascinating for me because like I really wanted that to work before the year. I you know I was like if that works, if Kerfoot's good this year, 
you know, that changes a lot of things for them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I see it there. So, yeah, I agree. He is best on the wing. He is best on that on that line with those guys. I think he that's his best chance of being good. Excuse me. Um, do you have my video? Okay, I lost myself for a sec. Um, that's his best chance of being good. Is it the best thing for the Leafs? I don't know. That's a pretty juicy lineup spot that, you know, you expect someone to be putting up some numbers. And I don't, I'm just not convinced that Kerfoot is offensively gifted enough to cash in on that spot. I don't know. So I do have a thought as to why that line does look a little bit better with Kerfoot there, which was going to be my second point about Tavares Nylander is I don't think they play at the same, like they don't play at the, the same speed. That's not even subjective. Right. Like that's objective. And I Did do Marner think it's and Tavares play at the same speed. I think so. And I thought about that a little bit too. And not, not in terms of the same skating speed, but Marner is very cerebral. So lateral. And he brings the game to his pace, right? And all you have to do is kind of like float around and get open and he'll find you. But Nylander is like, he wants to go. Like, mm-hmm. like he, at his best with Matthews, like those guys were like out of a cannon, give and go throughout the neutral zone, like moving it. Like Tavares is just not going to supplement like Nylander like that. Like he's just but, not. But they had a run, man. They had a run of being a, a very dangerous line together. And that so, was back when Matthews wasn't transitioning the puck as much as he is right now. Nylander had to do a lot of the heavy lifting and transition. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, that, I like the point about the pace. I really do. Cause I, it's tough to see how I thought that with Kapanen a lot, he struggled to play with, with anyone who could yeah. change paces, you know, like he just, there's no ability to change the speed he wanted to go. Nylander, you think, is better than that, but I, I, that is something to consider. I do think you got to do something with Nylander right now, whether, whether you put him on the third line or healthy scratch him or just something for JT to, to find something different, see if he can find a vibe with someone else. Even I would be fine with a couple of muckers. Give him Hyman and Mikheyev, go get the puck, let him play in front of the net, let him play you know, down low and, and you know, not so much rush rush hockey with him I, because right now man it just needs to be something different do you not just you flip suggest- marner and nylander like they're just like no i hated that point. i hated that point in your article i love your work that's i <laughs> that's the first thing i was like absolutely not um tavares no, 47 you, goals with them you're sitting here going you know i don't know about that curry with gretzky it's just not sure that that's the best thing for the oilers here <laughs> you know like to me it's bastion and a mexican I don't know. I, I have this theory that, like, you know, the great goal scorers can play with anyone. Matthews gets 50 in a normal year with a couple of putzes. But, you know, like, Marner's going to find him in those places where other people doesn't even know he's there. Like, the couple uh, behind-the-net plays, the one that I saw people kind of poo-poo where Matthews grabs it on his backhand, tucks it from behind the net, and Marner made kind of the, the short corner pass to him. Like, no one else is giving him that puck there. It's a no. great play. But I just – I, I love I love those two together. I, I get your point, but I was like, in this division, in this division, are you not like this is house money? Like oh, basically yeah. every game. <laughs> yeah. So aren't you just like, why don't I just flip it for five games and see if these yeah. guys get going? Because at the end of that Ottawa game, Ian, I'm sure you remember, they flipped them and like suddenly Nylander and Tavares both had a little bit of a little jump in their step. I know Tavares scored the brutal goal, but like it wasn't about the goal. Like they both just looked a little bit more refreshed. Maybe yeah, Ian, you, you, you like him splitting them up? 
I don't love the idea of it because like you say, the idea of a Matthews Marner line that you can throw out there against anybody and even against the other team's top line, top defensive pair, they're going to find a way to put the puck in the back of the net. That has value. That has big time value in, the, in a league where it's difficult to score goals. Mitch Marner can thread a pass to Austin Matthews in a tough spot, which you brought up. I don't think we're talking enough about Marner's passing ability because of the special season that Matthews is having and Marner's ability to pick off passes in the offensive zone. And then quickly off of that, make a, a quick one touch pass. It's almost as if, he, as if he's intercepting the pass, knowing where he wants to go next with the puck and finding that player in that good ice. Uh, if yeah. you look at his primary assist rate, you look at his ability to thread passes through that Royal road, through that, whatever we want to call it, that center lane, his ability to boost his line mates shooting percentages. I mean, throughout his career, Every time Mitch Marner's on the ice, his line mates have a much better year than they had with any other player. We're seeing it this year with Austin Matthews. You could make the argument that maybe two lines of a, a Matthews, Nylander, and a Tavares-Marner line is the, the sum of those parts better than a, a Matthews-Marner, Tavares-Nylander. You've made this argument in the past, Anthony, but I mean, if, if Matthews can score 50 goals in 56 games, you really want to take that away from him? So I, just, I wonder if JT's probably just mad watching Marner do what he's doing. He's like, that's mine. Those are my goals. I think a little bit. So Justin, my point on that was so just so that you know the background is I said, okay, let's say Matthews and Marner are 10 out of 10. And let's say Tavares and Nylander are like a 6 out of 10. Is it yeah. better to have a 6 out of 10 and a 10 out of 10 or two 8 out of 10s? Yeah. And well, Yeah. No, no. And, and I, I do I – do, uh, appreciate that logic and generally have ascribed to it. Logically, the most points you can get out of that, those combinations, it shouldn't matter how you, how you spread them around, but I don't know. I, there's something about true greatness that is so separate from hockey to me. Maybe it's truly a, the fan in me. That's like, you can't take that from me. I don't care if it makes the least better. Don't make me miss watching what Matthews and Marner's are. Uh, Matthews and Marner are together. So maybe I got to be honest with myself about what's best for the team, but I just love watching those two. So I'll, I'll ask on that point as we kind of talk about the lines and the configuration. And I know that this has been a big sticking point pretty much amongst fans or analysts or whoever is their numbers of five on five have not been the greatest. Is this something Mm -hmm. like we're genuinely concerned about? Do we think like, you know, Tavares and Nylander will get it together and like obviously they're hurt right now too like I put about zero stock into what happened against Calgary that just looked to me like a team that was down a lot of guys and you know Mm. they're not going to win every game so (laughs) you're bound to lose a couple Um, are we genuinely at all concerned about five on five yeah I think it's foolish not to be at least a little like wary of it right like you know, that's uh, many, many teams have gone on good runs uh, in spite of the numbers and been like, you know what, what, you know, the old argument, like what we do, you know, it's shot quality. It's not. And then it comes back, you know, the chickens come home to roost. So, yeah, I think, I think they're justified in, in saying here's something we have to look at. I've, I told this story this week somewhere else on the radio, but like when I was with the Marlies my first year, we were first in the division and our five on five numbers were garbage. We held a team meeting to tell the team they're worse than they think they are, which is just like, if you keep playing like this, we're going to lose. And then you can't say, well, you know, we're just having a rough stretch. It's like the, the way we're playing is indicative of a team that is going to start losing games. So I, you I have think that, that combo with this team, would it be, would well, you I think so, about yeah. it? A hundred percent. I think that's, I, I even heard Keith imply something to that effect about talking to his team 
because it, you know, it's hard to motivate a team that's having success because whatever habits they have, their, um, you know, whatever their habits are in those games, they're going to be positively rewarded for them and think, all right, this is going to work. So you play against bad teams, you do bad things, you win the game and you go, okay, well, I can do that stuff. How do you convince a guy to play differently when he's having success? So I think it's important to have that reality check conversation with your team and just say, you may be able to beat Ottawa. Look where they are in the standings. You know, okay, congratulations on your success against the Canucks. Uh, no disrespect to Travis Green or Pedersen, but they suck. Uh, you know, you can go through the teams and be like – Travis you know, Green will be the first one to admit it. Yeah. Yeah, so, you, you know, at some point you got to be like, it's great that it's working out for you, but, uh, you know, you got to have some perspective. So that's half the battle as a coach of a winning team. And when you're looking at those numbers right now and we're saying, okay, there are a bit of underlying issues here that the actual win totals aren't showing – I think that's a good conversation starter when we're talking about defense and how to evaluate it. Because with this Leafs team, they spent a lot of money this offseason on TJ Brody. They allocated resources from the third line to the second pair, hoping that this would give us a bit more stability on the back end. And I think it's paid off so far. I think TJ Brody's looked good in that spot. To me, the issue is that his partner, Morgan Riley, despite playing with a good partner for the first time in his life, is still below 50% in shot share at five on five. And that's a very good indicator of future results. It's still a better predictor of future goals than something like expected goals, which is supposed to be the best metric out there. But at the end of the day, if you're getting stuck in your own end over a large sample, that says a lot about the fact that you're not pushing play up the ice to a positive degree or with Morgan Riley. I think the, the specific example is that he's not doing enough defensively to prevent the other team from coming back on him. He's the minutes leader on this team. You saw it the other night when he played 27 minutes. At the end of the day, the players on your team who play the most minutes, they're going to dictate the outcome. Your team's going to adopt their style of play. So when we're evaluating Morgan Riley, I think that has a lot of impact on the Leafs' defensive numbers and why they've always given up a lot defensively. What are your thoughts on the team overall? Because I've always liked the way that you break down defense when you talk about stings and how the way that you play defense in the modern game, it's just uncalled interference. You know, anything you can get away with to impede their progress, that's how you do it. Morgan Riley hasn't been doing it this season, unfortunately, when you look at the results. I like him as an offensive player. I want him to be the best version of himself. But I think that version is, is a guy who's out shooting the opposition. And right now, that's not the case. How can he get there? Yeah. Yeah, Riley's an interesting one. I'm, I would be curious to hear how you guys have felt about his season too. It, it's, I feel like he has had such a pass with this team because, you know, everyone else was the run and gun, you know, the, the young whippersnappers who are taking chances and trading chances. And, you know, he's kind of the, the star defenseman on team that had, didn't have any good D. So, like, you didn't want to say anything bad about Riley. He felt separate from the rebuild. But now it's like, man, this whole time, has Riley kind of been a part of that, trade chances you know we'll uh, we'll go back and forth uh you know has he been a part of what this team's reputation is and I think that's the reality I think he is you know he's a risky player and um he's having an absurdly good offensive season uh and yeah it's it's cost them going back the other way a little bit I think when you look at the Leafs defensively as a team I feel much better about their ability to shut it down when you're up a goal or hang in close games longer because they don't Brody for me really changed the look of their back end. They don't have as many big mistake players. And I know the big mistake is a bit in his reputation and in his past, but they, they don't seem to have as, as many players who, I guess I'm just talking about Barry and CC and Gardner and like guys who were often on the whole pretty good players, but had moments 
like the less guys who have these moments of just like complete catastrophe, the better. So I trust this team a little bit more to be more mature, to be a little bit more conservative in those moments. But Riley, yeah, kind of goes against that nature to your point. It could be a fatal flaw in the team. I think calling it moments for Tyson Berry is generous, but we'll, oh, so we'll call it moments for Tyson Berry. <laughs> I, I, yeah, like I think you're both like right in terms of like, yeah, it's something that is noteworthy and you probably look at it and go, yeah, like he's been ingrained in that culture for basically since the start. I think the, the thing that I look at is they don't need him to be like significantly better defensively than what he's currently being because the top shutdown pair is that muzzin hole pairing. And they're really good. I love Jake Muzzin. Like, I oh, like could so 12 points in 19 in games. <laughs> yeah, takes Wait, a run at Josh Anderson, laughing yeah. in his face, like shoots the bucket. Kachuk. Like, he was out and Hyman was out. I immediately went and put money on Calgary last yeah, night. <laughs> yeah, Simmons. I was like, if these guys don't win. And as a quick aside, I don't know if you heard this, but I was listening to Johnny Gaudreau and he was talking about how none of um, – none of the players on Calgary realized like what had happened at the end of that game. Oh yeah. Hey, everyone he, is skating away. Like he's on his and, knees behind his team. And, and he basically said like after, which is true. Cause I, I could get this from Kachuk's standpoint and you could feel however you want about that guy. But like, if something happened to one of his teammates, you know, Kachuk is running in there Hate no matter the what. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure. And I know that uh, Elliot Friedman brought this up as like, that was a problem. Like, for Kachuk like he was upset that nobody came in and Goudreau was talking about it and he was like he was like yeah like it was kind of like it like at first we were just like why is this guy losing it it's like game four of the season like relax yeah. and then I think they saw it and they were like yeah this was kind of embarrassing like we we probably should have like done something and it kind of goes to show like we talk a lot about like in the game and whatnot but like how these very random moments can like really like like swing things like I always point to the um the Milan Lucic, Ryan Miller thing that basically ended the Buffalo Sabres as a franchise. Like they still yeah. haven't recovered. Like that, <laughs> that thing tore them apart. Like it actually did. You think it was just that? You don't think it, it was anything? No, I think there was a, a number of things that happened afterwards, but like they, that franchise was like coming out of the lockout. Like that was like banner franchise. Like everyone loved the Sabres and like that whole thing, like just started. It's also the greatest post-game interview of all time with Lindy Ruff where Paul Gostad said it was embarrassing that nobody did anything. And they asked Ruff about it and they told him Paul Gostad's comments and Lindy Ruff shrugged and said he was on the ice, which is (laughs) one of the greatest things of all time. So, um, but so as we get back to Riley, it was more say like, I just wish he picked and choose to spots a little bit more. Like, Mm. like I just a little bit more situational awareness of like, like they don't need him to score. Like, and, and I don't mean like they don't specifically need Morgan Riley score. Like the offense does not need Morgan Riley to contribute goals. So sometimes he could just sit there, sit there and be like, maybe I don't have to step up in the neutral zone for no reason. And conversely, when he's on a five on three, maybe he doesn't have to sit there and tee up one timers against Calgary while the other four guys are watching being like, why is Morgan Riley shooting the puck? As the Leafs like, don't score for a minute and a half. It shouldn't be on the five-on-three unit. Like, it, it, is, it is funny that you mentioned that because I watched that and I was like, if your first shot attempt on a five-on-three is the Leaf, is, is Morgan Riley into shin pads? Like, he needs to come off the unit. That's You're not the shooter there. I wonder, you know, I'm just throwing shit out there. 
Like, I wonder if he's playing for a contract a bit. Like, points get you paid. Everyone else yeah. in the Leafs got paid. He hasn't been paid commensurate with his value. I wonder if a little part of him is like, I know, I, you know, numbers are going to, or what's going to get me paid. But, you know, to just contradict my own point, I think back to the Columbus series and in OT, I, I think of a couple of plays and not where he got burned, but just stuff where he was in 50-50 pucks creeping in on the blue like he was going to go down and get involved and someone could have jumped by him. It's like that situational awareness of like, now's not the time. Like, put it in, in Austin Matthews' hand. How about no one tries to score and we wait to see if Matthews does? How's, how's that for a plan? Uh, I would like to see him be a little bit more, more aware when it's his time and when it's the team's time to find offense. One guy who loves jumping up on pucks in the neutral zone is Travis Dermott. And he's someone that you and I have talked about a lot over the years. He's someone who developed incredibly well under the uh, Toronto Marlies. And when you look at his skating ability and his gap control and his edge work, he's someone who I always thought was going to develop into a top four defenseman. It hasn't happened yet. He's still getting minutes uh, in the 11 to 12 range. He's not getting any PK time. So he's just a sheltered five on five guy. That's not a lot of minutes, but he's still someone who I know that you've liked in the past. And we, we see things in his game that make us think, Ooh, this is a modern driver. You know, a guy who can get the puck out of your end and keep the opposition from uh, gaining the zone the other way. That's the modern game. That's the transition game. What does he need to do to elevate his game to that top four status? Because Sheldon Keefe and company aren't seeing it. They played Miko Letton in more minutes than him the other night. Yeah. It's funny, you know, he's a great example of when we look at uh, teams and you say they have prospects, prospect guys coming. We got, you know, Dermot's on the way. It's like, do you know how good the top three defensemen are in every NHL team? Like Travis Dermot projected to be an NHL defenseman. He's an NHL defenseman. This is like, this is good for what he, you know, for, for what he could be or was going to be, I guess we, we get a little bit too excited about guys sometimes. So to what he needs to do to be a top four guy is to realize that he's not going to be a top two guy and to realize that Jake Muzzin makes $5.5 million by just playing hockey and keep trying to keep the puck out of his net and running into guys here and there. And, you know, Dermot has this like, I wonder if he feels like the progression was natural, like Marley's went well, Lee's went well, climbing, and just like he's going to be given X, Y, or Z. Um, because he still plays like, you know, this twitchy, excited game. Like he wants to be PK Subban sometimes. And, you know, sometimes just like he's jittery. He's, he's a twitchy player. And like sometimes you see the pucks at his feet and his sticks in the air and he's looking to do all this stuff. And it's like, hey, put your stick down, put it on the ice near the puck and pass it to someone. You know, like, we, we just need you to play defense. And I think they're frustrated that they have to shelter him. They, you know, put him in the ozone. They have to protect him a little bit. And he's better with a good partner and, you know, someone who can stay at home and play defense. They don't want to protect him. They want him to, to be someone they can trust and play defense. And I think for him, a lot of forwards have come to grips with the fact that they are not going to score 50 goals in the NHL. And they become grinders. And Andrew Cogliano is still killing it in the NHL. Go through the list of NHL players who say, I guess I got to do something different. Dermot's got to have that talk with himself and say, if I'm going to play in the NHL, I need to be a defense man and play defense. I wonder if on that note too, especially because of the way he was treated early on when, and I'm trying to like get into side his head a little bit and also take into account what you just said, like they threw him on the power play early, right? Like that guy hasn't touched the power play in the past few years. Like, nor is he going to like the jitteriness alone. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. They brought Miko Lettinen over from Finland. They're like, here you go. Power play two time. Travis yeah. Dermott, like, take a seat, buddy. Like, there's power play. Like, that's that's where you're sitting. 
So Sandeem was ahead of him on the depth chart there. The one place that, I that thought was the one Dermot that was telling sense. to me. And I thought Dermot yeah. would make sense on the penalty kill with his gap, with his ability to say, okay, maybe on a PK two when they've we've just iced the puck and now all you need to do is prevent them from gaining the zone. I figured that would be something he'd be amazing at because that's his skill yeah. set, is gapping up in the neutral zone. But I guess yep. you're concerned when they gain the zone, is he someone who's gonna take away that pass through the middle of the ice and read the play as it develops? I guess that's where you're a bit concerned. You know, there's some players, yeah, no, that's a great point. It's if you can't play in either special teams unit and you're uh, a bottom pair guy, they'll find someone better. So he's got to figure out a way to be a regular contributor, an important part of a, of a PK, for one, for sure. But just there's some guys, and actually Mikheyev comes to mind a little bit too, but just like where you don't want them to have a cup of coffee and a Red Bull before the game. And Dermot, it's like, I would like him to have like Robit- half Robitussin and half water in his bottle and just play Meditate. a quieter game. Yeah. <laughs> and like that would make me much more confident in what you're going to get from him on a given night. Yeah, and it just goes to show, I love the point too about um, the expectations on Dermot and I guess just sort of that like that gap between, right? Like I think back to those times and it was like people went nuts on like Andreas Janssen for like leading the playoffs and scoring or, and all whatever he was doing in Sweden. And like yeah. Kasperi Kapanen scored that overtime goal to win the World Juniors and everyone lost their mind. Um, you know, this guy's going to be like unreal. Like can't believe we got this guy. Like they traded those guys in the summer and like people were lining up to drive them to the airport. Like they could not get rid of them faster. I actually really like Andreas Janssen. I think he would have actually looked really nice on the left wing on either line. But that aside, it just kind of goes to show like everyone goes like nuts on prospects, but to like actually like the the learning curve between playing pro hockey and getting there and then doing yeah. it every single night is really hard. And we kind of see that with Pierre Engvall and Travis Boyd right now, older yeah, guys, yeah. but they kind of come in, they looked unreal their first few games and, and now like reality sitting. I, you know, I just think, you know, we're all on Twitter all the time. And you talk to like, fans of the sabers and they'll be like yeah we got you know whatever insert a sabers prospect Dylan Cousins. Like, yeah okay olifson's gonna score 40 goals yeah, yeah. but like oh, so cousins is gonna come in and, and score 28 for the sabers now, okay you still suck yeah. <laughs> you know, like you need so many good players to be a consistently good franchise in the nhl um so yeah prospects are it's just a reminder for teams every, every team has prospects yours are probably good Maybe they're great, but, you know, everyone has them. <laughs> Justin's cat has entered the frame, and I think it's feeding time. I think it's uh, – he's, he's telling Justin that it's, it's time to get That's to bed. Tyson. What's up, Tyson? Ah! Sorry. Oh, he's, he's named Tyson? Oh, my yeah, God. Well, that, he's I, got the Tyson tattoo on the eye, kind of. <laughs> so did Tyson Barry kind of ruin that for you last year? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I hadn't put that together until right now, but now that I think about it, this, this cat Can't does have a lot of brain anymore. farts. meltdowns. <laughs> 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 There is, before we let you go, well, I actually have two things. I know Ian likes stat of the week. And I did want to talk about the all-Canadian division a little bit, just because that's been a hot-button topic. I have some kind of feelings towards the overall quality of it. I think it's probably distorting the evaluation some are making. Um, Ian, I'll let you pick what you want to go first. Uh, I'll save my stat of the week for the end because it's just a quick one to bother you guys. So uh, let, let, let's go <laughs> into the, the Canadian division. Bourne brought up the fact that we weren't sure how to evaluate the Leafs, how to measure them against other teams around the league because this Canadian division just sucks. When you compare <laughs> it to teams in the West who get to face the San Jose Sharks and Anaheim Ducks and other bottom feeders, 
I wonder how many points in the standings or how many points individually it's actually worth versus other divisions. I mean, we're still mm-hmm. talking about professional hockey teams here. Are we overestimating yeah. that a little bit? Could be. Ooh, nice goal. Uh, Penguins just won an OT. Um, yeah, no, I think we are. You know what it's done is it's made me retroactively look at every team who was in the Pacific last year and the year before a little bit and be like, huh, I think those teams are worse now. Like McDavid's stats have been padded this whole time. Um, but no, th- this year, I do think that, you know, we are overstating the Leafs. The biggest benefactor here has probably been the Canadians, who people think are this great team who are not. You know, That's going to set the Leafs up in the future years for success. It's, this is like lockout Leafs, like like Mikhail Grabowski, Tyler Bozak Leafs. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. like next year might be like the follow-up for them. Yeah, yeah, that could be true. Yeah, so, but, but I, I think that, you know, again, to your point, they're NHL teams, you still got to beat them, but like Ottawa's not good. Vancouver's probably not very good. The Oilers are, everyone's flawed, that's all. Instead of going through the list, every team is more flawed. So um, they're, they're lucky they don't have to see Boston, Florida, Tampa, you know, whoever else in the Atlantic this year. Yeah. And I'd kind of say too, and like, I, I get your point, Ian, it's true. Like there, there's a few divisions that have a number of really bad teams, the Leafs division included. My biggest thing is the Leafs don't have like the true benchmark team. It might be Winnipeg. It might be. I like Dubois a lot. I think their forward group is deep and their goaltending. They probably have the best goalie in the division. So I think that they're at least a problem. I don't think they're like, like you talk about that division with San Jose and LA, but that division also has Vegas, St. Louis and Colorado. And like Vegas and Colorado could play against each other and be like, all right, like this is like the top, like, like these are two of the top five teams in the league. And I don't think any team in the Leafs division, other than the Leafs, of course, are even a top 10, like a true top 10 team in the NHL. I don't. I think you might have a few where you could squint and be like, this team is 10th, maybe. I think Montreal at 5-on-5 is still a really strong team. I I don't know. Like You look at their ability to control play territorially. I I think we know that that has value. Remember the LA Kings back in the day when they didn't have that many points in the standings, but their Corsi 4 percentage was 56%, and they they steamrolled teams in the playoffs. Prime Jonathan Quick and not really old Carey Price, who's like sub-900 right now. I still don't think so, Jonathan Quick is as good as his reputation was back in those years, but maybe not. But he was more undeniably good. good. Like, might not have been like super elite to what people thought, but he was like undeniably an above-average goalie. I think I picked him as the best player of the 2010s for Sportsnet. Once I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> his, I mean, go through his resume those years. It's absurd. It's absurd. But yeah, no. I, I, you know, this Montreal team is, uh, you know, I, when you say like their Corsi numbers are through the roof, all I can picture is Brandon Gallagher bra- banging nine rebounds at the pads from this far away. I know he's a guy who scores a lot of goals, but yeah, I, I'm with, with Anthony just on where Montreal is at, probably around 10th or so in the league, which is a hell of a jump from 24th last year. But certainly the Leafs are going, it's going to be interesting if things go their way, if they stay healthy, if they get through to the conference final this year, which anything less than that feels like a disappointment at this point. And yeah, all of a sudden you're, you could run into an absolute buzzsaw of, of a real team where you haven't seen all year and you lose two games before you figure out the level you have to play at. So you hope that's not the case, but that's certainly one of the concerns is what is the quality of competition they're going to face this year. Who would you be most concerned to play in a playoff series if you were the Leafs? Would it be the Habs because they control play at five on five so yeah. well? Is it Edmonton yeah. maybe because McDavid and Dreisaitl just could black out? 
which I don't they often think you, do. I don't think you can defend like the Oilers and beat the Leafs in the seven game series. No, they're just they're too much, too much firepower. And also the Oilers goaltending. Oh yeah. Mike Smith's your goalie Tyson Berry second on your team in ice time per night. I mean that like night. Montreal, yeah. Montreal could beat the Leafs in a seven game series. You know, they, it's not inconceivable, right? You know, well, maybe they'd have a 46% chance or something, whatever the numbers would, would set it at, but. Yeah, I could just Winnipeg, see them controlling Winnipeg 60% of the shots or something like that, you know, just right. where they live in the offensive zone and just death by a thousand cuts. Well, and like their depth is undeniably better than the Leafs, I think, up front. Like their, their yeah. bottom, you know, guys are playing 13 minutes a night. I think that the, their lowest minutes guy last I checked was like 12 and a half minutes and it was Paul like, Byron. Yeah, I and mean, then like Corey Perry when he does play is like 11 and yeah. a half or whatever it is. If you were very quickly, and then I'll let you get to stat of the weekend, I promise, I swear to God. I don't believe you at this point. The, <laughs> quickly, if you're targeting a position to acquire your Leafs, you're like, I think we're all in agreement. Like, you have to go all in this year, pretty much. Yeah. Like, like yeah. absolute insanity not to. What, what you are know, you know wild. You know, you're, well, everything I hear is, is winger, is top six winger. But I think you take, you take a, a center, too, a guy who can play third line center. But, you know, just yeah, – Oh my, I'm regretting this already, but uh, earlier today I was talking with, it was on Hockey Central and someone brought up Taylor Hall and I think, can't the Leafs have five and a half million in bank cap space? Isn't that right? Yeah, so, probably. Like some, conceivably they could have a, they could pick up a player worth that. Like, I wonder if you could do something weird at the deadline. I know, I know the name I had heard was like Granlin, you know, a guy like that, a guy could come over and play top six minutes and, I don't know, but you're right. I think they got to go all in. Salary cap's an issue, but who knows? Maybe maybe they'll find a way to get weird. Here's to hoping. It definitely is a year they got to push the chips in. I yeah. like the Vegas approach to just getting the best available player, whoever the best available player is at the deadline. Yeah, let's go for that guy. That's what Tampa's <laughs> yeah. done. That's what Vegas has done. There are good hockey players available. Let's acquire them. Yes, I, I like this, this idea. This wouldn't be my only move, but I would, I've been giving this a lot of thought too on the Nashville front because they have a number of players I would like to – like pick off that team. Um, like I would be really happy to upgrade the fifth defenseman hole. Right. Yeah. Like, like Matthias kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Like I just overall make your defense better. And then to your point, Ian, like, like if, if Riley is going to be a liability at times, you're like, yeah, we're going to lower this guy's ice time. Yeah, we're gonna... not going to play him on the third pair. I mean, at no, some you're point, not, you're gonna not be the whole time. Two few minutes, not the whole time, but you can definitely pick and choose your spots a little bit better. But right now you're like, the competition's not really there, but like the top, up, the top four is untouchable right now. If you do something like that, you're up two nothing in the third period of a game. Maybe you tell them to take a sip of one of uh, Dermot's Robitussin water bottle and sit at the end of the bench. Eckholm's going to play this one out for us, yeah. Morgan. You can, un- today, you, can you can untie your skates. You can untie your skates and get your feet feeling good. Get yeah. ready for the next one. So yeah, exactly. I will let you get to stat of the week now, Ian. <laughs> all right, stat of the week. This is to finish things off because we were talking about Nylander earlier. I figured, okay, we all know that the numbers love Nylander, so I figured I'd grab one that liked him. Uh, Born, you probably know about expected goals. I got to think Dubas has had a conversation or two about those. So the yes. chances of beating a goaltender and you add them up over time. Austin Matthews at five on five is first in the leaves in individual expected goals uh, per 60 minutes. Guess who's second? Is it Bill? It is Bill. Bill. Old Billiam, Wild, Bill. Wild yeah. Bill. The numbers say he's still doing that well. So, I mean, it's funny. It's like the numbers indicate that a player is talented, is good at generating offense, is good at picking the puck up in the D zone, advancing up the ice. But I guess that's not what the conversation has been about this entire time. So, me bringing guess, that up. I guess I'm not surprised. 
I guess I'm not surprised a positive Nylander stat was a per 60 stat when the team's not putting them on the ice. Wow. <laughs> had to go there. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I love him as a player. I'd want him on my team. I hope he sorts it out, but I understand why there's frustration regularly with him. Justin Bourne will be back to pull something up. every single week to pick apart Ian's stat of the week. Look forward to it. It's a weekly segment. <laughs> yeah. What is this garbage stat? Says Nylander's good. Get out of here. Stat of the week followed by Bourne's rebuttal. <laughs> yeah. I've been, listen, I've been on a show with Anthony Stewart for a long time. So my, my Nylander bias is, is growing in the wrong direction, unfortunately. Oh my God. As long as you still believe that he's better than Kapanen, then at least we can agree yeah, on something. But... Yes. Yes. That is, that is not a concern. I is that a talking point? That's no, an Anthony Stewart was, point. <laughs> I think it was a flippant comment he quickly regretted. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I keep bringing it up. I actually like Anthony Stewart. He's a good dude. I hope so. Yes. Like, that's 11 out of 10 regret, right? Like, that significant. I think, you know what I'm learning is you talk enough in all these jobs with a big enough platform and, like, I don't know. Like, sometimes yeah, you're going to get, yeah. Like, yeah, and, like, sometimes in a coach's office, you're just throwing things at a wall, trying trying to see. I don't know. Does this work? Does this work? And you say something you regret. It's it's happening more than I. I don't know. It's just it happens. Uh, that one I'm <laughs> going to give him a pass on because it, it's so bad. There's no way he could really think so. It does happen. I'm sure there's probably a few things I've already said on this podcast that make absolutely zero sense. So <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a fun to figure this out. Talk through it. Justin, thanks so much for joining us, man. Uh, I'll let you go see your cat Tyson now, and I'm glad that I've permanently ruined that name for you. So I'm sorry. Man. Yeah, you really did. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Best of luck. Uh, I think you're both great. So I look forward to listening in the future. Thanks, oh, man. Thanks we really lot, appreciate man. it. Appreciate it. Have a good night, buddy. Thanks, guys. You too. You've been listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. For news, opinion, and analysis, make sure to go to MapleLeafsHotStove.com and join the conversation.